Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. Off and on, I hear about one-day classes where men will get all three degrees in one day. And a lot of times it's a large group of men. So uh, I want to share a few articles that kind of tie in with that. And then as always, I'd be curious for your feedback. So listen in, enjoy, and then let us know what you think. So this first article is from the March 2001 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry, Southern Jurisdiction, USA and is titled The Silver Thread of Our Craft by William Herbert Skip Boyer, 32nd degree. In passing masonry on to his son, a father assures the future of our craft. On rare occasions in our lives, an almost indescribable moment occurs. It's as though a window suddenly opens and a flash of light illuminates whatever is happening around us. Or a fog you didn't even know was there suddenly lifts for just a moment, and you can see the horizon clearly for the first time. It's hard to describe the event, but you know it when it happens. It only lasts for a split second, but it alters your perspective on everything from that moment forward. About a year ago, I had such a moment. The Grand Lodge of Arizona was conducting a one-day class. During that class, approximately 130 men received the three degrees of masonry. Around the lodge, several rows deep, the candidates were seated, each next to a master mason who served as the candidate's mentor and guide. Individual Bibles, held by the mentors, served to obligate the members of the class at the appropriate moments. It was a large event, perfectly organized in everything from the work itself to the meals, supplies, degree teams, etc. It was fun to be part of so impressive an event, even though my role was a small and important to only one man. I served as mentor to a bright, personable young man I met in my workplace. He knocked on the door of my office one day and asked if the car in the parking lot with the double-headed eagle on the bumper was mine. I was afraid I had hit his car, so I was careful in how I phrased my response. Yeah, what of it was the best I could manage. As it turned out, he wanted to know more about masonry. In time, with my name on the first line of his petition, he knocked on our door. Like nearly all the candidates from my lodge who were part of the one-day class, he received his first degree within our lodge, sort of a bonding thing. When the one-day class opened, there we were, seated next to each other. Unexpected was the presence of his father, a longtime mason from Pennsylvania who now lives in Tucson. He had driven up to Phoenix to be part of his son's day, so I sat on one side of the young man, his father on the other. Late in the day, which began at 7 a.m., we concluded the illustrative portion of the Master Mason's degree. Each mentor and candidate rose to illustrate and practice the points of the proper greeting and recognition of a Master Mason. My newly obligated brother and I greeted each other in fellowship as Master Masons. Then, with a smile, he turned to his father and greeted him as a brother. His back was to me, so I couldn't see his face, but over his shoulder I could see his father's face, and at that moment that rare window opened and the fog parted for a heartbeat. In his father's eye, I could see the silver thread of our craft twisting back through history and forward through time. At that moment, complex questions of jurisdictional recognition, theories of origin, the hidden meanings of individual words, and eternal debates over the splitting of bylaw hairs suddenly jarred rudely into perspective. 
as I watched, in that split second, the craft was passed from one generation to another in a scene that has been repeated for hundreds of years. Now, I know it sounds naive in these days of dwindling membership in fraternal organizations and a growing concern for numbers, percentages, finances, and whether this organization or that is the magic philosopher's stone for growth. But for that brief moment, as a father and son grasped hands as brothers for the first time, I felt a sudden sense of relief. As long as men fiercely prize the values and principles of Freemasonry, there will be sons to whom those values will be entrusted for the future. So this article is from the July 1999 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry and is titled More Members or More Masons. And this is written by most worshipful Thomas W. Gregory, 33rd degree, who was at the time Grand Master of the Grand Lodge of North Carolina. In Masonic membership, quality is much more important than quantity. An old past master of my lodge, Statesville No. 27, Statesville, North Carolina, used to hold court in our dining hall from time to time. One evening in 1978, surrounded by eager young officers, he jingled the change in his pockets and made a statement I've never forgotten. What we need in masonry is not more members. We need more masons. The old past master, a district deputy grand lecturer, was James Castle, J.C. Brown, 32nd degree, Valley of Charlotte, North Carolina. He taught me to confer the entered apprentice degree. He was a great coach and a good friend who helped me understand the importance of excellence in ritual work and, along the way, stressed the importance of being very selective in evaluating men who petitioned for the degrees. This has been an exciting year for me as Grand Master, and I've learned a lot from this unique experience. Most of all, I've learned what I always suspected, that there are many, many fine men in our fraternity. There are top-notch masons in every lodge across North Carolina, masons who give time and effort to their lodges and support our many charities, including the Masonic Home for Children at Oxford and the Masonic and Eastern Star Home in Greensboro. They are active in their houses of worship, their communities, and their lodges. They are an example of what good men should be. They understand and practice the philosophical truths found in masonry. I shook the hand of many of these masons this year. They invariably had a smile on their face, a sense of excitement about our great fraternity, and humility regardless of their position in the fraternity or their community. They were good men and true, tolerant, full of love and respect for their fellow man, and ready to overlook the shortcomings of others. Thank God we have these men who make up the core of our organization. They fill leadership roles, cook our meals, work at our fundraisers, do the yard work at the lodge, visit the widows and those who are ill, coach our candidates, encourage us when we're down, and give us role models to fashion ourselves after. I've met some other men this year, too. Members, but not masons. It's not hard to pick them out. They attend few, if any, meetings. They give little of themselves or their means to Masonic charities. They invariably have a frown or pained expression on their faces. They never encourage, but do discourage. They invest little time in their families, houses of worship, or community. They are concerned primarily with themselves. They ignore the sick, the needy, their fellow Masons. They believe it better to receive than to give. They have little or no idea what Masonry is all about. They have no conception of tolerance and hold bitter, deep hatred for some of their fellow men. Thank goodness these members are in the minority, but there are many more than I ever imagined. Every lodge has members who don't belong in its fold. In this period of declining membership, we almost become giddy with the prospect of a petition for membership being submitted. I fear we sometimes rush to the conclusion that this petitioner is a good man who wants to be a better man. Unfortunately, this is not always the case. 
some lodges have taken seriously the provisions of the Masonic Code concerning prospective members. They are very selective, and the investigation committee does a thorough investigation, never shortcutting the process. That's the way it's supposed to happen. We want to start with good men and help them become better men. Masonic lodges are not reformatories. We don't want to start with bad men and attempt to make them good. We need more Masons, not more members. To accomplish this, we need to be diligent in our investigation of prospective candidates for Masonry. My dad used to say he'd rather have one $10 an hour man than three $3 an hour men. It was his way of pointing out that quality is much more important than quantity. It's that way in our fraternity. The Masons we have will outwork any number of members. Their quality as men makes the difference. So this next article kind of takes that, uh, that topic of the one-day class and talks about it as well. So this article is from the May 2004 edition of the Northern Light. One-day class, Logical Evolution or Masonry Light? by Jim S. Dayo, 33rd degree. And then the subtitle is Successful Achievement, New Members Participating in Lodge. The Grand Lodge of Ohio is celebrating its second anniversary in, of the Become a Master Mason in One Day event. Many Master Masons questioned whether this approach would be successful and, if so, whether the new Masons would become actively involved within the fraternity. The degrees were presented at 10 locations around the state and a total of 7,756 candidates became Master Masons on that day in April 2002. The numbers far exceeded our expectations. The original thought was to establish a goal of 2,500, but we decided instead to reach higher by setting a target of 5,000. The new approach also offered an opportunity for entered apprentices and fellow crafts who had not completed the work to become Master Masons. The day proved to be exciting for both the new members and current members, there was a definite feel-good attitude that has continued. Members of the class had an opportunity to meet others from neighboring towns, and mentors helped to make the candidates feel comfortable. Now that we have had a chance to reflect on the celebration, it's time to assess the results and determine the pathway to follow for future one-day classes. There are three basic questions that have to be answered. Was the one-day class as successful as the numbers have indicated? What happened to these members, and are they actively participating in their lodges? And do they share the same sense of belonging to the fraternity as those receiving their degrees the traditional way? From the first year analysis, the one-day class was more successful than even the most opportunistic analysts could expect. This was a special day for those receiving the three degrees. They were part of a historic event. There was a special bonding within this class that took place. It brought together men from many vocations in a setting to share one common experience. There have been many positive results. A survey conducted a year ago as a follow-up with the Ohio Lodges provides valuable information about the members of that historic class. Some 354 lodges of the 550 lodges within Ohio responded to the survey. These results indicate that 18% of the one-day class members are attending lodge meetings on a regular basis. 8% are officers within their lodge. Examining these statistics, we find that this represents 1,395 new active members, or an average of four new members for each lodge. Even more positive is the fact that the 8% who are officers represent 620 new lodge officers, or an average of almost two new officers per lodge. These are the results of the first year. If we are to examine the results after the second year, these statistics are even greater. A number of lodges have as many as five officers within their officer lines. 
Are they learning the work? Many have already given a lecture and a charge, and some have been exceptional participants and given all three lectures in this two-year period. Anyone traveling around the state of Ohio will find that the one-day class members have exhibited a real sense of belonging. They are very eager and proud to share with us that they are a product of this approach to Freemasonry. The excitement from this one-day experience still remains within them. The one-day class concept did not end with April 27, 2002. In March 2003, an additional 3,100 candidates became Master Masons in Ohio during another one-day class experience. This represents almost 11,000 new members, which is more than 10% of our current membership. And then the interesting way that they have done these articles is page by page, basically on the facing page, there is another article. This one is written by Dennis V. Chornenke, 32nd degree, and is titled Masons or Members, The Importance of the Initiatic Tradition. One-day classes, ODCs, sometimes referred to as Grand Masters classes, have been around for over a decade in the United States, but the increasing number of jurisdictions adopting them has drawn heated debate from across the Masonic world. Not all such classes are the same. In 1992, a two-day class was held in Washington, D.C., and it has become an annual event for 50 to 100 candidates. Unlike most of the other jurisdictions that have since adopted the one-day class, each candidate in Washington participates in all necessary ritual elements rather than simply watching the degree conferred on one principal candidate. In 1997, Oklahoma held three ODCs that were limited to existing entered apprentices and fellow crafts who had not progressed during the previous 30 years. On the other hand, in April 2002, Ohio raised more than 7,700 Masons in one day. As of today, over 35 American Grand Lodges have adopted ODCs in one form or another. While there has been much discussion about the effectiveness of the process, proponents have argued that ODCs provide a quick boost of finances and members to the organization, with dropout rates for one-day class inductees being roughly the same as for those who went through the degrees in the usual manner. Most jurisdictions have adopted ODCs, have only done so in the last five years. It is arguably still too early to gauge the qualitative impact on the craft. What is easier to measure is the instant effect of ODCs on the fiscal and membership figures of Grand Lodges and appendant bodies, which have often held their own ODCs on the same days as the Grand Lodge, or soon thereafter to take advantage of the new prospective members. Combined with the uniquely American circumstance of not incorporating entered apprentices as full members, this effect has created a highly problematic situation. Thus, much of the current phenomenon of Grand Lodge ODCs can be attributed to economic, political, and historical factors. American Grand Lodges have experienced a continuous decline in membership and income for the last 40 years, while the annual expenditure has not significantly decreased, creating serious pressure to generate funds. There is political pressure from appendant bodies that have experienced the same membership decline. From a historical perspective, American Grand Lodges attending the Baltimore Convention of 1843 resolved to allow lodges to meet only on the third degree for business and declare that Masons of the inferior, or first and second degrees, are not members of lodges. While such a practice has never been adopted in Europe, it has come to be considered some kind of landmark in the United States. To forbid entered apprentices from becoming part of the lodge is detrimental to the craft. A letter from David Terrell, a Texas Mason, appeared in the recent issue of Freemasonry Today. He wrote, American Masons are treating the symptoms of an illness, the failure of first and second degree Masons to advance, and are ignoring the disease, the institutional rules that exclude first and second degree Masons from business and the fellowship present.
during the normal time period of receiving the degrees. In continental Europe and South America, it takes an average of two to three years before reaching the third degree, during which time the brother is considered a full member of the lodge and participates in most of its activities. In some European countries, the raising ceremony is considered such a meaningful and intimate experience shared by the new master mason and the brothers of his lodge that visitors from other lodges are strongly discouraged. Such a profound cementing of brotherly bonds is likely lost in the impersonal nature of the ODCs. Not surprisingly, European Masons, including Lord Northampton, the pro-Grand Master of the United Grand Lodge of England, have come out strongly against the American practice. When mentioned in Europe, the notion of ODCs usually draws complete bewilderment, disgust, or a genuine sympathy comparable to the kind expressed when a family member has died. Some American Masons have even drawn up model amendments to lodge bylaws to prohibit participation in ODCs. The concern of a tremendous loss that takes place due to a process largely motivated by questionable expenditures, outdated historical factors, and a misunderstanding of the initiatic tradition of masonry must be taken seriously. The initiatic tradition is the craft's core and defining characteristic, without which the organization would become indistinguishable from other fraternal or philanthropic organizations and could no longer accurately be called Freemasonry. When the lives and works of the founders of Freemasonry are seriously studied, it becomes clear that they viewed Masonry foremost as an initiatic institution, charged with the preservation and propagation of a much older initiatic tradition. Initiation is a slow and sensitive process that requires great effort on behalf of both the candidate and the existing members of the Lodge. For initiation and Masonic growth to be meaningful and enriching, great care and attention must be afforded to each individual candidate. He must understand that the organization is highly selective, allowing him to feel self-worth and leading him to respect the high standards of the order. He must be effectively educated about the history, symbolism, and philosophy of the craft if he is to become a Freemason worthy of the title. A possible compromise, though still sacrificing the intimacy of the initiation, could be for Grand Lodges to accept entered apprentices as full dues-paying member and to allow and direct lodges to open for business on the first degree so that ODCs would only have to initiate the candidates, allowing them to properly bond with their respective lodges in passing and raising. While this would provide the Grand Lodges with the dues-paying members they seek, it would not, unfortunately, satisfy the appendant bodies that would still have to wait for the new members to become Master Masons. European Masonry has been very successful in working as small lodges. Whether it is welcomed or not, American lodges will also become relatively small in the near future. ODCs and lodge consolidations are only going to work for a limited time and do not address the more fundamental problem of having lost our focus and traditions. If Masonic traditions are to continue to have an impact on the lives of Masons, the focus and resources should shift from ODCs to creating viable models for smaller lodges, even if this means raising dues. Masons should not be afraid to show that Masonry is important to them. The situation requires a balanced and knowledgeable approach, which must be founded on the understanding that Freemasonry is foremost an initiatic institution and becomes something else when it loses the initiatic element. The approach must also be characterized by an ability to transcend historical, political, and economic factors through innovative solutions that do not severely damage economic structures and diplomatic relations with other bodies. And it must not be forgotten that it is the charge of Grand Lodges, as the supreme Masonic authorities, to preserve the initiatic traditions in their jurisdictions.
Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.